Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Bruski, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel. It's here. It's still trying to fully mend itself, but Jorna Taylor is included in that class of citizen. Jorna Taylor is a consultant, a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Oh, hey. Morning there, Matt. Morning, (laughs) Morning. Wisconsin. Good morning. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning, everyone. So we'll start our podcast off by thanking all of our members who showed up uh, Thursday evening to our Brewfest fundraiser here in Milwaukee. We thank you for your support. Uh, And uh, with that, let's move to our topics. So we're going to start by talking about uh, the lawsuit, the redistricting lawsuit here in Wisconsin and some news that came out this week. Uh, We're also going to talk about the next election, our DPI, Department of uh, public instruction. So we'll talk a bit about that. We're going to talk about Trump's cabinet and some of the early proposals that he has been floating or has come out in the press. And we're going to talk about the Affordable Care Act and healthcare in general and the assault we're expecting from Trump. And we're going to hear more from Robert about what he learned at his conference last week. Of course, Jorna has some Paul Ryan information, or shall we say the reelected Speaker of the House. And uh, we'll talk very briefly also about our cooperatives in the radioactive campaign, which was a great success. So with that, want to get the panel's uh, response to the news this week that the lawsuit that we've talked about, I believe we've had Sachin Chetta on the podcast to talk about the redistricting lawsuit that is actually at the Supreme Court that could potentially change uh, or force a redistricting here in Wisconsin due to uh, what is... Uh, charged partisan gerrymandering. So this week, the big news was that the 12 plaintiffs went back and said that they want the election results from last week's election to be counted or used in the lawsuit because the key statistic that they were using, quote, the efficiency gap, uh, to show that there was uh, gerrymandering got worse this election. Jorna, I know you've been following this. Does this shock you? It oh, got God, worse. I, if anybody was looking at results from... Last week at the state legislative level, you, you wouldn't imagine that there was a deep Republican bias in our state lines, would you? Um, I think that, you know, this is absolutely critical information to help the judges decide on this redistricting lawsuit. And it's also very new and fresh data points that demonstrate just how gerrymandered our lines are in Wisconsin. So hopefully the judges will accept using this, you know, this very uh, fresh data set. To remind our listeners, uh, when Sutchin was on, one of the key things about this lawsuit in this efficiency gap is it was a new quantification. I believe a Stanford professor, someone out west in California, (laughs) um, came up with that hopefully will address Justice Kennedy's concerns around really wanting to have a, a clear quantification that could be used across states to get at uh, uh, gerrymandering has never been satisfied with what's come before the court and the thought was that this efficiency gap might be the thing that Kennedy is interested in. Robert? So I mean obviously here it's not bad enough what's going on electorally uh, but that we actually have a, a system that is stacked against uh, against Democrats and let's be clear the whole concept of gerrymandering and redistricting going back to the early 19th century 
has been ridiculous all along, the idea that politicians draw their own districts and decide who their voters are. The problem is it's gotten even worse because it's become more scientific. And the other problem is, is that the courts have given deference to the political class, legislators, which is absurd. I mean, if you want to talk about the, the, the purpose of the country, the Constitution, one person, one vote, no, there, there's just no, no basis for allowing this sort of activity. But it's gotten worse and worse and worse so that Wisconsin is set up so that uh, even if the Democrats were to actually win an election, they would still lose the legislature. Now, what does that mean? It means the legislature is illegitimate. Okay, it doesn't represent the will of the people in any way, shape, or form. Now, I know people also have in their minds that the Electoral College is looking that way as well. And maybe <laughs> that is certainly true. But let me tell you, the Electoral College at least is random. What I mean is it can lead to the person winning the popular vote, Al Gore, Hillary Clinton, not being president, but it's not actually redrawn every year uh, by ring Republicans unless that amendment is offered in the Trump era. And so this just needs to end. And the courts who, who are per feel perfectly fine, it seems, intervening and striking down you know, legislation to advance social justice will freaking look at what the purpose of elections is supposed to be and strike down this partisan gerrymandering. And, and the scientific part of it with modern voter files is such that they created perfect maps that are almost unwinnable, which means, just by the way, the founding fathers, prior to the foundation of our state constitutions, for our national constitution, the Federalist Papers, made it clear that they thought legislatures and, 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 the, and the U.S. Congress, the House of Representatives in particular, because the U.S. Senate wasn't elected, would very much reflect where public opinion was and would shift back and forth based on the currents of public opinion so that they actually be representative. That's not the case here. This is set up so that the same party will be elected no matter what the state of public opinion, which, it, which is outrageous and undemocratic, and it's time for the courts to step in. Robert, I think that you're being quite aggressive in thinking that the Republican Party of Wisconsin has read the Federalist Papers. <laughs> they claim, well, they run around their, their legal organization nationally as the, the, the Federalist Society, so that would suggest, though it could, maybe it's the Federalist Party, not the papers. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought in Trump's America, facts didn't matter. Anyway, I digress. I see your point. Uh, and in fact, it's a whole new world in, in, the, in the world of Trump. I do want to remind our listeners that that case ended in may and so what they're really asking is to just add these update add the information and they're not and, yeah. looking for the case to be reopened it is worth pointing out that the judge who was overseeing the case back in may did say that that the 2016 election results would be very interesting as it related to this case so um hopefully that means the judge is very interested <laughs> in this new information but look um we don't want to artificially raise any false hopes here that somehow we have a system that might actually um, uh, do the right thing here. But it, this is the, this is possible, and there, it's worth talking about. There are a lot of legal scholars who think that the Wisconsin case, the North Carolina case, and the Maryland case, which is against the Democrats, are finally going to create new precedent, and uh, that the courts are finally had it and are willing to intervene. Of course, then we have the question of these cases all end up at the U.S. Supreme Court at some point, uh, and... Uh, I don't know. Is there anyone from Breitbart world that can be appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court? I bet that Bannon could do double duty. <laughs> or that son-in-law guy. <laughs> so while we are talking about elections, um, we just obviously finished <laughs> one of the most bruising and depressing elections of our lifetime. Um, but there are elections again next spring. And 
this week there was a lot of news, or well, it doesn't really make the news, but we wanted to make sure it got out. Uh, the, one of the big elections next spring will be our electing the new super, or superintendent of uh, public instruction, which is currently Tony Evers. This week, Superintendent Evers released his budget uh, that uh, for, for next uh, to go to the legislature. And the budget, you know, actually really does reflect a lot of the, the needs that are out there, particularly in rural district. It has over $5 million additional resources to help retain teachers. The question is, one, is this is even going to matter, obviously, given the legislature it faces. The, the one new dynamic that I will at least uh, say to our listeners is, both Governor Walker and Republicans have at least at some level acknowledged that there's a problem with funding in rural schools, what that means, uh, whether they make any real changes to that or that's just talk, um, is totally remains to be clear uh, seen. I think we have our hunches actually what's to happen, but got to say it's good that uh, Evers was able to get this out this week and it was important because this week also his one of his major opponents uh, announced that uh, he is running against him, and that is Chandler. I believe it's John Chandler, or John Humphreys, excuse me, John Humphreys. And uh, it's worth noting that Humphreys also had the support of uh, State Representative Jason Fields there, a Democrat who was recently elected, someone who is known to be uh, pro-voucher. So that is a very interesting dynamic right away to that race that I think is uh, certainly worth noting and our listeners being aware of that this is going to be a big race and he's going to have serious opposition this time. Jorna. So this is something that Democrats, progressives, independents, people all across the state have got to pay attention to this race. I appreciate that we all have election fatigue. I appreciate that we're all in this horrible place. You know, many of us are in this horrible place right now. And I'm certainly I'm living in a place called rage. Um, But this is really an essential position to help continue to support public schools and having a candidate in the race that is supported by a, I'll use the term loosely, Democrat who is so funded and pro-voucher and pro-school choice, that's really disappointing to me. And we we can't let Tony Evers not get reelected. So again, put on your boots and start knocking on doors and talking to your friends because this is an essential and critical post. What's important for people to remember, this will be a very low turnout election again, but this issue that Evers is getting out front on, uh, rural districts and funding, is something that kind of got buried in the avalanche of Trump. And we know that a lot of state legislators who were out on the doors in rural areas were talking that this was a serious issue that was cutting across partisan lines. I think it got swamped out uh, in the top, by the top of the ticket and just sort of the Republican wave. This could potentially be an effective thing for Evers because we're going to have a whole budget cycle while this is going on. And if he can effectively get himself out on a position where they're triangling a little, this might be hope because, quite frankly, this is a tough spot for him to be in as he's not the most exciting politician, one would admit. And um, it's a tough position when you start to now have a a Democrat out supporting your main opponent, Robert. Well, non-excitement could be good in this uh, (laughs) era, right? Possibly. You know, you don't seem like a politician. You seem credible. And this is the last bastion of any 
remaining power that is not fully dominated by Scott Walker. And we, okay. that's part of why we are talking about We it. have a Democrat Secretary of State, but the Secretary of State has few duties. So just to, to for whoa, all of you... Whoa, whoa, but his name's LaFollette. I know, but he they if they would give him some <laughs> duties, that would be great. Um, and there are some, but not very many. So I think the position Evers taking is smart because legislative Republicans ran on the idea that they were going to invest more in education and even even did foul opposition to Walker's position, foul being false in French. Jesse Rodriguez, her main issue yeah. was that she was going to increase funding for education. So it wasn't just that the issue got swamped. The other side lied about their position. Great point, okay? Robert. That's what took place. So Evers actually putting it out there on rural schools, they really don't give a damn about Milwaukee schools or Racine schools except for privatizing them, right? But as far as rural schools, it's smart because it puts rural Republicans in an interesting box and spot. Now, I bet they'll be kind of like they usually are, Scott Walker. Oh, they'll be all fine in the end. And they'll, the Waukesha Republicans will all tell them why they have to vote for some something else that pays lip service to all of this. But it is interesting, and it certainly leads to the possibility in two years, especially if the redistricting lawsuit wins, of holding them accountable for voting against something like this. So I think we actually have here development of a clear separating issue, which is when what we've lacked in education, any clear thing for voters, not us, but voters, about which side is actually wanting to invest in education, improve it, and which side doesn't. Exactly. No, I... When I saw this this week right away, that was my first thought. Oh, this is good because it was just, it was appalling at some level to watch what the Republicans were running on. And they were doing it across the state on education, increasing education funding. And we love to show a map in our child poverty presentations with our coalition partners that the DPI puts out which shows the number of kids who are eligible for free and reduced school lunches. And that's based on a straight income level. And to show that for 2005, it was that you had some red areas of the state, but mostly not red. And then by 2015, like most of the land in the state is deep red, red being uh, a high percentage of kids eligible for free and reduced uh, school lunches. And that means those kids have a lot of other challenges as well. And you need better more qualified teachers uh, to help those kids succeed and live the American dream. But we do the opposite. So we're like, basically, oh, it's a fair it's a fair playing field. You're all starting at the 20-yard line, except you're not. So here's the deal. This is uh, We're far enough out. If we can start to get organized around this, this is one of the top issues. It was the top issue, you know, along with the economy, in the, uh, in the state legislative elections. Uh, the Republicans are already talking about how they're going to do something in the budget around this. We shall see. So let's remember, these are low turnout spring elections. The voters are a little more plugged in. They're paying a little bit more attention. Um, this could be an opportunity here for us to get out front on an issue and, and go back into areas of the state that we really struggled uh, this cycle and start to have some of these conversations with folks uh, who do swing back and forth. There's a shocking number of Obama-Trump voters out there. And, you know, this DPI election, uh, some of those same fault lines will be in play. So uh, we just wanted to make sure our listeners were on top of this. We will talk more about DPI. Maybe we'll even try to get uh, Tony Evers on the show to talk a little bit more about the election and his budget plans and, and sort of how he sees this playing out. So with that, we have got to talk a little Trump. Jorna. A little Trump in his little hands. Yeah, so look, you know, this is going to be incredibly challenging because 
we can't have normalcy, right? With the, we can't have Trump become normal at some. And, 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 I don't think do that's going mean? to be a problem. I, I understand, that's right? That's kind of what happened but this election, I'm though, worried. actually. Yeah. I'm worried. Yeah. Like, to me, that's the biggest worry that, like, it starts to become normal. I heard a, a journalist talk about it from this way, right? Look, a, a journalist needs access, right? So if you kind of, you know, change up and go after Trump, you could lose access. So, right, right. like, so there's things of normalcy that sort of take over. That's why I think it's important for us to continue talking about Trump throughout this podcast. And I think Jorna brought up this morning an excellent thing that is very revealing, and that's taking a look at some of the early thoughts and potentials for cabinet positions. So, Jorna, let's oh, go through yeah. the list. There's some fascinating very interesting uh, potential people. Well, here. to start with, uh, since you're talking about the media, Matt, yes. um, I would like to say that um, anti-immigration bigot Laura Ingram is in the running to be White House press secretary, which would absolutely Amazing. just open up the White House press corps to you know everybody, right? You know, you know it's fascinating. Jonah, when you mentioned her, it reminded me of, you know how like when celebrities go to the White House, they like to stand in front of the podium and pretend that like <laughs> right. they're the press secretary. It's kind of like that sort of happening, right? Like, oh wait, crazy Laura Ingram, she's oh, just kind of an entertainer. And so so there's that. Um Okay, I would like to go through a list that I found on Politico, and I'm not going to go through everyone. I'm just going to highlight some of my favorites. Um, Secretary of State Rudy Giuliani is in the running, and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Wow. And oh. Yeah, that's, that's some foreign policy cred, if you ask me. Um, Treasury Secretary is Goldman Sachs slash Dune <laughs> Capital Management um, or J.P. Morgan Chase. Oh, so I'm, wait, I I'm thought sorry, Trump was running against Wall Street. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, huh. that didn't Maybe happen. Not. That's not true. Uh, That'll let's... be a big change in the previous administration where I think it was J.P. Morgan and then <laughs> Goldman Sachs. Anyway. True. Uh, let's go to interior because interior is fascinating. Um, Lucas Oil, as a lot of people have heard, Forrest Lucas of Lucas Oil is a serious contender, but also, oh, God, this is so good. <laughs> Oh, geez. Sarah Palin is oh. also in the running for interior. Huh? Yeah. Uh, a little speechless. I look forward to the briefing sessions on what's in the interior. I, um, let's fast forward to Health and Human Services. Ben Carson, as many may have heard, has declined service in the Trump administration. Um, but Bobby Jindal, if you all may remember him from his brilliant political presidential run, is in the running for that. Labor Secretary uh -oh. makes Wisconsin shudder because Scott Walker... Our very own governor is seen as Gulp. an outside candidate. I have predicted that on this podcast. Yeah, Robert is clairvoyant. No, I mean, who has better cred on, on how to destroy uh, right. workers' organizations? And take your economy into the tank. Uh, transportation. James Simpson, the former commissioner of New Jersey's DOT. I'm not sure if he was a part of Bridgegate or not, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> he may be all that wasn't thrown in jail. Uh, let's see. Energy secretary is a billionaire from Oklahoma. EPA is a climate a, change wait, denier. A billionaire from Oklahoma? Is that a name? <laughs> it is. No, uh, Does he believe that the Chinese came up with... <laughs> climate change he's big into renewable energy I absolutely that you know i lived in oklahoma and oklahoma. there are legit oil wells oh. like downtown oklahoma city uh let's see education is a bunch of 
pro-voucher, pro-school choice folks, including Eva Moskowitz, a Democrat who, you know, has come to blows with uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio. I, I mean, the list keeps going on, but we would be remiss if we didn't also add another Wisconsinite into that mix. Homeland Security Secretary, potential uh, director, <laughs> a fellow horse rider, oh, cowboy hat wearing, oh, Sheriff God. David Clark. That's just scary. I mean, and the list goes on. Oh, well, uh, so wow. We'll have more on Trump in future. And you podcasts. haven't even mentioned your favorite, though. <laughs> My favorite, Rents. Oh uh, yeah, he's the tinsel, right? I mean, he's the he's the shiny. Uh, tinsel that makes him look credible, right? At some level, somebody posted <laughs> on Facebook, right. and I thought this was pretty... he's credible relative. You heard that he list is, of wackadoos? Um, he actually somebody posted on Facebook, and I forget who that. Um, have you ever watched a movie where the villain was named Rince that uh, turned out all right? <laughs> so I do want to, before we go off of Trump, recommend an article for our listeners. It's called autocracy rules for survival and it's an excellent um article by masa i i don't i don't want to mispronounce it but i probably will masa gessen and she's a journalist who's worked under putin (laughs) and has some wise sage advice rules that we should all follow to make sure that we can uh not normalize uh the trump and uh authoritarian rules so i think it's worth reading because we can never be too cautious. But anyways, let us move on to your friend Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan watched. Um, so he has been uh, having a ha- had a good week. He's back as speaker. So uh, your buddy was unable to derail him. Your your biker friend uh, Paul from Nalen. Paul Nalen was. I, I guess there's he was unsuccessful <laughs> twice. Uh, there's still time for the truth resurrection. So yeah, Speaker Ryan. Still there, cut the deals that he needed to cut. And um, he also, he has some really kind of dramatic and interesting quotes. And I think this one is the my favorite of it. I'm not looking backward. I'm looking forward. I'm looking for how we make this work for the American people. Uh, he's supportive. He's defended Steve Bannon. He has defended all of the Breitbart News stuff. Glenn Beck doesn't even defend oh, Steve Bannon man. for crying out loud. That's how bad. I Just for perspective, f- folks. feel sorry for Paul Ryan, but he does this to himself, and he's a <laughs> jerk, and he's all gearing up to cut Medicare. So, Well, we look forward to tracking Paul Ryan next year as he is between a rock and a Trump place, I would have to say. <laughs> the right-wingers and Trump ought to be interesting. So... Before. Well, I understand the, ta- the, the yeah. tactic here, right? So this is what we're witnessing is the attempted Republican takeover of Donald Trump. And so they've made a conclusion that if they give him his alt-right crazies and don't attack him frontally, then they can adopt, they can government. They can adopt the Ryan budget. Uh, and then everything's well, and then we've saved the country. This is just not going to happen. It's that fascinating smoothly. when Paul Ryan looks like a moderate next to this star-studded lineup that Donald Trump is putting together. Well, the interesting question is, he seems like a moderate in deportment. Right. What he wants to do to Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, uh, the entire safety net that he claims to care about to, to, to keep people out of poverty or help people who are, who are lower income— is quite radical. Now, Trump is more radical on human rights issues, of course, which is why the ACLU has had record fundraising, you know, $9 million 
dollars has been raised by the ACLU in the last couple of days. So uh, the, uh, Ryan is not proposing, you know, these kinds of crimes against humanity, but he wants to do to everything we've built in the 20th century is is more radical than what Trump wants to do in that area, in the area of, you know, uh, basically health care, human services, government spending and taxes. Look again, rules for survival, uh, the day Paul Ryan is a moderate, right? We have definitely lost our sense of uh, normalcy, so we need to hold tight. He'll fall down <laughs> when he won't fund um, uh, uh, Trump's uh, in, uh, force, a large military force that we required to find uh, 12 million people. And to register all the Muslims. Mm -hmm. So speaking of Trump, Robert, we need to, before we move on and off the show today, is get a little bit of your thoughts on health care. We mentioned in our last podcast there's a number of issues that are going to be uh, in play and definitely under attack both at the state and federal level. Um, this won't be our, an exclusive, uh, our only look at health care, but wanted to at least uh, get the high points of the trip you went to last week when we talked to you were in New Orleans at a health care conference. What did you learn? What are what what's happening nationally? What is our best thoughts on how this is going to go down, and what ought we be doing to to get out front of this? Well, Kevin and I were at a conference uh, started right after the election, New Orleans, on healthcare value, and of course the whole agenda got scuttled given what's happened. Uh, so we were involved with a lot of other uh, major state leaders around the country and national leaders in healthcare talking about what to do and what could happen. And what could happen is so serious that healthcare might be the first big flashpoint. In many ways, he can do this faster than he can do everything else. I mean, he did say day one, like, we're going to repeal Obamacare. We know that's not possible. But yes, he's pretty much saying that. So I'll get to the nuance on that because he's already disappointed Ryan and company with a uh, uh, by uh, after his meeting with President Obama as a story oh, meeting with the President first Obama. Of many disappointments yes. with Paul Ryan. So, and I think that it, it, this is how bad it is. We're probably talking if we look at either the Ryan plan that has gone through Congress once and vetoed by Obama, and what they tried to put through as instructions for the reconciliation process, which is the way to avoid the filibuster, and we look at Trump's campaign plan, which is on his transition website. Just to be clear, there's a transition website for all of those who want to learn all of the latest details. Um, that what they would end up doing is uh, forcing 22 million people off their health insurance. Um, and cost uh, the government $42 billion more dollars a year in doing so. So that's the top lines of the policy. And just so you know, it's not just the Affordable Care Act. It's going after Medicaid, not just the expansion of Medicaid, but all of Medicaid. We're talking about block granting it. So we're talking about an assault upon Badger Care. And quite frankly, uh, Ryan has been talking in, in the uh, talk shows, uh, hinting about Medicare, which suggests that they're all going to go after Medicare as well. And Ryan has been lying, claiming that the Affordable Care Act and somehow weakened Medicare, when it's the opposite, actually. Medi it dramatically strengthened Medicare and moved out it, you know, the date for how long it would be solved without changes in funding, 10 years. Uh, but it doesn't matter. We, he just makes it up as he goes along, because what we've learned about Paul Ryan, he's about power and about getting his way. He's not about any kind of independent intellectual pursuit of truth or, or, or good policy. So this, if, if we do what we need to do, and this is going to require a massive mobilization by healthcare advocates across this country, you're going to have a lot of people 
who are going to be very upset, a lot of Trump voters, when they realize uh, what's being taken away and that the it's going to be better than before. Uh, obviously, there, there's, there's nothing there. What they might do cynically is repeal Obamacare, uh, but leave it in place for two years and then say they're working on the replacement during that time. And so do a bait and switch where we still get to hear the, it'll be great, right? But it'll be repealed in the future, that that is a, that is a possible scenario in January. Now, one problem Trump has is this. Uh, in addition to the number of people who have cancer, chronic physicians who literally will die uh, because you're taking away their health care and people in the future that will happen to. Uh, but uh, Trump has now said after his meeting with President Obama uh, that he thinks we should continue to uh, let uh, prevent insurance companies from denying coverage to people with pre-existing conditions. We've been saying that's the heart of the health care fight in a lot of ways because it, it represents freedom. In a fundamental way, it's why we got Obamacare in the first place. And uh, kids should be able to remain on their parents' policies until they're 26, which Ron Johnson also supports because he keeps saying it's cheap. So apparently if it wasn't cheap, he'd be against it, just to be clear, right? I mean, this was dur during the whole campaign. Oh, that's easy. That's cheap. Okay, great. We only do cheap things. He's not a great moral leader. Uh, but anyway, here's the problem. Um, if you get rid of the individual mandate but you require insurance companies to uh, sell to everyone, then what happens is a lot more, fewer healthy people buy insurance and the rates go up even further. Uh, then furthermore, if you get rid of the subsidies, which they've been misleading people about, so the big increases they're yelling about don't include the subsidies, you get rid of the, the affordability subsidies, you dramatically increase the cost of coverage to 85% of the people who get coverage on the Affordable Care Act exchanges. And so you're, we're going to be talking, and we'll try to figure out this exactly, 100%, 200%, 300% increases in cost, and then the allow people to buy across state lines, that's code word for let them buy anything any insurance company wants to call insurance, yeah, and it'll I, be cheap. I'll set and up it's a like plan. saying we're going to reduce the chance cost of a car by making sure there are no safety standards on it. And it might blow up on the road, but hey, it's going to be a, a less expensive car. And remember, people used to, before the Affordable Care Act, literally find out that they were $200,000 in debt and they weren't, get, and they weren't getting any more payments for, for life-saving medical care. In, and they were insured and were paying premiums. That is exactly, that's what we're talking about here. So this is really, really, really bad, but this is one of the first opportunities to blunt them. And you see, here's the problem. Trump has already taken the step on pre-existing conditions. That's what leads to needing to do all the other things in the Affordable Care Act. So the base case, case scenario is not that the Affordable Care Act remains or Obamacare remains as a brand, but that Trump care by a mass movement is forced to adopt most of the most of the more important features of the Affordable Care Act, and just call it something different. Well, if you like that, we're going to have more of that, i.e., what we could be doing on healthcare uh, coming out shortly. We're going mm -hmm. to announce an event where we are going to uh, get people together and talk in more detail about how we protect people's uh, right to affordable access to affordable health care and uh, actually set some visionary goals, long-term goals to do this and get out front of this effort. So we will announce more of that on the podcast. We'll also have uh, news, but that should be happening within a month. We're hoping to, to do something and start engaging people on how we're going to fight back on health care. So thank you, Robert, for that. Um, 
Before we go, we do want to mention we have had uh, on multiple weeks uh, organizers from our organizing cooperative in here talking about the membership drive that we've been having across the state. And that included our effort to build uh, or uh, expand the organizing cooperative in southeastern Wisconsin around the Radioactive Project to monitor, track right-wing media, and uh, uh, you know, obviously try to get equal access and uh, f- potentially maybe even find uh, more sources or media outlets to put progressive voices on was successful. And on Sunday uh, at an event with John Nichols talking about and Mary Batari talking about the election, we celebrated what we're at about 310 plus members who have joined the radioactive cooperative very exciting uh robert i it's know a project of the part of the milwaukee co-op and we also had a larger number of people join the latino caucus of that co-op as well so and i was gonna say yes we've got about 200 additional members and a lot of those folks obviously going to work on issues that are of great importance to the latino community but also economic justice issues so we're very excited about that and uh, we are in the middle still of a drive in northeastern Wisconsin, Appleton, Green Bay area, and we're very excited about that. Rebecca is the organizer on that. And we will have probably have Rebecca on next week to talk more about that organizing drive. So we're very excited about that. And again, we want to thank all the members who showed up to our uh, Brewfest fundraiser last night. Most of you listened to this Friday, Thursday evening this week. Thank you very much. We, uh, we can't work without you. So with that... Weekend furlough, Jorna. Are you still riding the horses to soothe the, the the pain and anger that consumes you all day long? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I haven't seen them in a couple of days. I, I really need to get out to see them. Uh, but this weekend, I'm actually going to go out of town with some friends. Oh, nice. Any uh, particular destination? The Chicago. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, that'll be we'll fun. Spend a little time in the Windy City, do some museums, eat some food, drink some beverages, forget about the pain in the world for, you know, just a few minutes. Speaking of Chicago, it's a shout out. I, I hear Rom wants to make that a sanctuary city, and I know there's efforts across the state of Wisconsin for that. So headed to one of our sanctuary cities. Robert, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I should want to just sleep. Since Sleep. I brilliant, since I went from the Nichols event Sunday night to a 6 a.m. flight to D.C., where I had two days of punishing meetings about what's going to happen and why we lost. Oh, and all of that. you love those meetings! So, Come on, punishing. Uh, and so I actually am also going to be in Chicago. Let's yeah. stay clear of Jorna here. Uh-oh. We're not hanging out, Robert. Wonder no. Twins. I uh, know, unless you want to come by the Indies, activate. Unless you want to come by. Uh, the Indies Times 40th Anniversary Gala. Uh, for I'm just guys, kidding. That sounds this is Form of an good, eagle. This form is a, of a large microbrew in a bucket. This is a very good progressive magazine. So the podcast know should not is. be casting aspersions at Indies we're, Times We magazine. like the magazine. We're yeah. talking about that event. <laughs> no, we're I kidding. Like we, we joke. It's the furlough. In These Times is an outstanding magazine. Is In fact, they do some of the best the, economic writing out there. So. They're, they're on, they're, it's at some place called, I think, the Union Commonwealth Club or something. Apparently, nice. you can't wear jeans, which isn't a risk for me. But I've had to tell anyone I'm inviting <laughs> to come that you will be denied access to the to the, the club if you wear jeans. Right. So, yeah, I was going to say, so you learn something a little bit. This is why we do the furlough. You learn a little bit. Robert Brian doesn't was wear come jeans. Down, but no, he won't. So. Brian, <laughs> showing us his jeans. 
Jorna's got her jeans on. I'm wearing my jeans. Are those jeans? Okay. Robert has some very nice slacks on with some uh, Doc Martens. So that's our little Robert insight for the week. Um, I, this weekend, am going to spend time around the house. I get to take the storms off. I think I'm usually the last one in the neighborhood to do this project. So, Well, but, given it was 69 degrees on Thursday, <laughs> no, Matt. It's, uh, it's going to be know. 40 on uh, Saturday. I always wait till it's 40 out, and then I look, at the, I look for the next 10 days, and I see it's never coming back up. <laughs> then I decide, okay, it's time. So with that... Folks, hang in there, and uh, we have not given up hope. We are organizing. Join our cooperative. Get involved. The movement charges forward, and uh, we'll see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.